Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad you're here. If you're new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're in part five of a series called Salt and Light. And uh, we're in this series exploring something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. So in that passage, Jesus was speaking directly to his followers and he said to them, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And so what we've been doing is trying to learn what does that mean for us today? How do we live as salt? How do we live as light in our world? And if you've been with us throughout this series, we've learned some things about salt and we've learned some things about light. So the purpose of those things is to engage the world around them. So salt engages meat and light engages darkness. So Jesus used those common illustrations to help us understand that God wants us to engage the world around us. God doesn't want us to attack our world. God doesn't want us to ignore our world or accommodate our world or withdraw from our world. God wants us to engage our world. And so in this series, we've been trying to figure out what does it look like for us to engage some of the really big cultural issues that our world is facing today. And we began our journey by looking at the issue of human slavery and human trafficking and the reality that people are still bought and sold today like property. And I had an incredible opportunity to interview a human trafficking survivor. And she helped us to understand there are some real practical things that we can do today in our own personal lives to help do our part to end that horrible injustice in our world. Then we looked at the issue of living in a sexually diverse world. And we understood through scripture that God wants us to love everyone, no matter what their sexual identity is. And God wants us to love them enough to speak God's truth to them, to help them understand that God loves them deeply. And in that conversation, to be prepared and aware of God's truth when it comes to to sexuality. And after having deep, meaningful conversations with people that we're building relationships with, we go right back to step number one, and that is to love everyone the way that God loves everyone. Then last week on Mother's Day, which I'm um, sure that most of our moms were super glad, we were talking about politics on Mother's Day. We talked about living in a politically divided world, and, and we learned that as Christ followers, we need to remember we are citizens of heaven more than citizens of earth. And as we engage politics, because we should We should engage all all politics, every right that we have as as citizens, every conversation, we should engage those things. But as we do that, we need to remember we represent God to our world and we need to hold more tightly to our faith. As Paul was saying, that we need to fight for the faith. We need to hold more tightly to our faith, fight for the faith more than our political opinions. And so hopefully that was a helpful conversation last week. Now, today we're gonna talk about living in a racially tense world. And you would think that as our society progresses, that as we progress as a nation, as a world, that racial tension would be decreasing. But it isn't. It's actually increasing. Increasing all around the world, increasing in the United States as well. And so we're asking the question, how do we engage that? And I've spent several months in preparation, not only for this message, but this series. And I've been praying a lot. 
I've been reading the Bible a lot. I've been doing a lot of research and, and asking God, God, what do you want us to say? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to know when it comes to engaging our world with these subjects? So when it came to living in a racially tense world, um, as I was asking God, God, what do you want us to know about this? How do you want us to do this? The thought came to me, and the thought was this. I wish I could interview my friend Bruce. I wish I could fly him down from the D.C. area, have a candid conversation about racial reconciliation in the United States. And I thought, you know what? Bruce is a professional counselor, very busy. He probably doesn't have time for this. So I I, um, dismissed that for a moment. And then I thought, let me ask him. So I called and said, Bruce, uh, this is what we're doing in our church. We're talking about salt. We're talking about light. We're talking about living in a racially tense world. What do you think about flying down here and having a candid conversation with me on stage? And he said, yes. And I'm so grateful that he said yes. Um, it's, it's taken me 20 years to actually get Bruce down here. Um, so I'm real excited to have him down. So let me tell you a little bit about, about Bruce before I invite him out. So Bruce and I have been friends for about 20 years, and we used to work together. And um, the interesting thing about our relationship is that he was a pastor who became a professional counselor. I was a counselor who became a pastor. So we've got this, you know, a little bit of yin and yang thing going on in our relationship. And um, I have so enjoyed our friendship through the years. He has celebrated with us on our journey as a church family. He celebrated with us as we started Epic. He celebrated with us with different milestones on the journey. And and I've been able to celebrate with him as he was finishing his master's degree and and passing his license exam and and becoming a counselor. And so um, it's just been a great friendship that, that we've had. And hopefully you'll be able to see that today in our conversation. But I want you to know a couple of things before he comes out. Um, Number one, we are primarily going to talk about race relations in the United States between black Americans and white Americans. So there's racial tension all around the world. There's other racial tension in the United States. Um, But today, for our purposes and our conversation and our time frame that we have, um, we're going to talk specifically about um, racial reconciliation between black Americans and white Americans. And the subject of racial reconciliation, racial tension, is a sensitive subject. And kind of like politics, kind of like the conversation about sexuality, um, it can create some emotions that we have, some deep thoughts, and um, some strong opinions at times. And so what I ask of us today is that we listen with humble hearts and uh, ears wide open, hearts wide open to what God might want to say to us today. And I want you to imagine going to a church of a primarily different race than yours and having a candid conversation about race relations. Uh, I think maybe you can understand that might be a a little bit of an intimidating thing. Um, so I am so grateful for Bruce being willing to come here and have this conversation with us. So I ask that you pray for us in our conversation. Um, you pray that, that we would speak what God wants us to say and that we as a church family would hear what God wants us to hear. So let's pray together and then I'll invite Bruce out. So God, I'm so grateful for uh, the opportunity for us as a church family to be looking at some, some really big issues in uh, our culture and in our world. 
And I'm grateful, Jesus, that you did not ignore those issues. You did not run from those issues. You engaged those issues. Uh, you engaged us and you, you stepped into our messy world to help us clean that up. So Lord, today, as we talk about racial reconciliation, Lord, I pray that, that you would speak powerfully to all of us, that we would hear, maybe see some things that we haven't seen before or heard before, and that we would leave here with a mission to reconcile relationships around us. So guide us today in this conversation, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, welcome my good friend Bruce to the stage. Welcome, my friend. Welcome back. We're going to do this again. It's a little bit like deja vu, yeah. but it's not because this is the first time yeah. they've actually yes. heard it. Hello, Epic. So, Epic, Bruce, Bruce, Epic. All right. So, uh, yeah. Bruce, as we begin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your family, where you live, what you do for a living. Yes. So born and reared in Washington, D.C., um, east of the river is what it's known as. That's southeast part of D.C. It's, it's east of the capital. And um, lived there for a little while. Just after my father had passed away, he was only 29. My mom was 24. I was six. My sister was two. And my mom was left to raise these two um, uh, kids on our own. So we moved to just outside of DC, um, not too far from my family unit. She was single mom, but she, um, we had a good, tight family unit, so she wasn't quite alone. Um, maybe four years later, I was introduced to Christ by my fifth grade teacher, which was so against the law to share Jesus and the Bible in public school, wow. but she did. And um, I was intrigued. She cried when she shared the story. I'm like, who is this man she talking about and why is she crying? You know? <laughs> so so uh, I was intrigued. It was so real for her, it become real for me. Um, I graduated from high school eventually. I'm skipping some things, obviously. And uh, decided to go to a predominantly white college. Um, and I did that because my grandmother told me, she said, you know, um, just before I graduated, she said, you know, you really don't want to stay here. D.C. at that time was known as Chocolate City for obvious reasons. Right now it's probably Neapolitan, but it was Chocolate City then. And she said to, she said to me, she said, you should go away. Go broaden your horizon and learn of other cultures. I said, okay, you seem like you know what you're talking about, so I'll do that. And I went to this all white, uh, predominantly white school. Um, it was a culture shock. It was a culture shock. Coming from where I was, the, I'm like, huh? You know, I mean, the 1% the, 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 the of, of, of blacks there were part of the basketball team, and I was part of the basketball team. So, so, so I was like, okay, what's, what's going on with this? So um, anyway, um, I met my wife. Um, uh, she did not attend that college. She lived in that city, and we were introduced through mutual friends. And um, so my wife and I have been married for 25 years of a 32-year relationship. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
Now, I'll do the math for you. Yes, it took me six years to ask her to marry me. So, you know, what can I say? I'm well, it's only take, it taken 20 years for me to get you down here. So, <laughs> right. you know. Right. Um, so we have a, a daughter, one daughter. She's 18. Well, she'll be 18 in two weeks, and she graduates in two weeks. So we're really excited, and that's a little bit about me. That's cool. That's cool. Well, welcome to our church family. Yeah, I'm glad And to be here. Um, I know that you noticed, like, we live in just this amazing community that's really close to the beach and everything. It's really nice here. So we've got some realtors in, in our church family. Oh, just in oh, case you, know you want to move, I'm just you know saying. What? I'm just Listen. saying there's always the opportunity. This Houses is a are setup. for sale. This is a setup. I got off the plane yesterday. And I'm walking through the terminal, and not even 20 steps, I see over to my right, uh, this looks like a store. It wasn't a kiosk. It looked like a store, and it said, Realtor on duty. I said, Trent set me up. Yeah. He had set yeah. me up. Like, what is that? It was actually me. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that before in my life, a realtor in the, right by the gate. I'm like, man, that's It must Trent. be a sign, is all I'm saying. <laughs> it, it could be a sign. So... Um, Bruce, let me ask, why would you want to do this? Why would you come down here so, and have this conversation with yeah, me? Yeah, so um, I think of three reasons. One, in all that I try to do, I try to bring honor to God and glory to him. That's one, that's paramount of all that I try to do um, because he's gifted me to do the things that I do. And he's given me the breath of life to do that each day I wake up. So I try to do that. The second thing is, I think about our relationship for over 20 years. Um, I mean, you've just been instrumental, you know, throughout my life. Um, you were there when we, when Sydney was, we adopted my daughter, actually, when she was six weeks. Trent and Tammy were there when that happened. Um, and you, you were there as a, as a partner in prayer when there were tough times and when there were decision times, you were there. And so it was a no-brainer to come down and um, hang out with you all. And then the third thing is, I'm a descendant of slaves, and I can only imagine that to be in a place like this to worship together, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that this moment was probably unimaginable to them. And so I kind of see it as historical for me. I mean, not historical that I'm here, but historical to be here and talk about this issue because it's not done. It's not, it's very rarely done, you know, so. Yeah, there definitely are not enough of these conversations going on. And so we're, we're grateful for your willingness to just engage the conversation with us and, and help us learn. So Bruce, we understand that there is racial tension around the world. Um, the Middle East, there's always racial tension. There, there's uh, racial tension between North Koreans and South Koreans. There's racial tension in the, the Muslim community, outside of the Muslim community. There's, there's racial tension in the United States and in, in various forms and shapes. Um, so from the, the racial tension that's there between black Americans and white Americans, what are some of the the main causes of that from your perspective? I think there are a myriad of reasons why. Oh, let me start out by saying, I meant, I'm glad I thought about this. I am, hear he, hear he. I am not speaking for every black person in the United States of America. This is coming from me. These are my opinions. These are my thoughts and experiences. So I'm not speaking. I'm not the spokesperson. So I need to say that up front. Whatever I say, I'm not speaking for everyone. I think that's important. And I echo that. Um, I do not speak for all white Americans. 
Um, but like I said this morning in the first service, I do speak for all bald people. <laughs> so if you happen to be bald, I'm speaking for you today. So we think alike, we probably look alike, and it's all going to be good. Yeah, so. yeah, cool. Back to the, yeah, um, yeah, the yeah. main causes. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons why, but I, I, one of the things that's paramount is that we have to get to a place where we acknowledge, get an understanding, uh, confront the issues, and process them. In particular, process the pain of injustice. There is this thing that's called, you know, with regards to the school of thought, with regards to Africans prior to slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade. There's this school of thought that um, Africans were not human. They were dehumanized, and it created this racial inferiority. And so I think when we come to understand that, that's helpful, that's just skimming the surface. But then you have things like another cause, a particular cause that was perpetuated after 1863, enacted in 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation, is this idea of the Jim Crow law or laws. How many people are familiar with that? Jim Crow. Just raise your hand. Yep. See, there you go. Explain yeah. it a little bit for those who may not fully yeah, understand. Yeah, sure. It. So Jim Crow, uh, without going into deep background around that, because there's much more to what I'm about to say, but just in a simple uh, explanation, Jim Crow was just simply a code or laws that just really um, the, uh, the, the segregation issues and voters' rights and, and much more other things that we've, we've come to know. But more importantly, um, I lost my train of thought there. Explaining the, the Jim yeah, Crow laws. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so here's what I want to say. Thank you, sir. Hey, you're See, we're welcome. working together. That's it. So this right here, I think, is like an oxymoron. I started looking at it, and I was wondering, that doesn't make sense to me. So it's this idea around the Jim Crow, Jim Crow law of separate but equal for between blacks and whites. Separate but equal. Separate but equal. Now, now let that settle in a little bit. Separate, equal. How, how can you have the two? And that was, that's history. That's in our history. It's in writing. You can I guarantee you Google right now, type separate and equal and watch what comes up. It's in our history. And so we have to get to a place where we acknowledge the atrocities. We have to deal with it and process it and move, move from them, move from there to try to heal from that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a lot of causes, uh, for some of that, uh, racial tension that's, uh, in the States that, that we experience. And, um, again, something we said in the first service, we are just skimming the surface on this. Uh, we could talk for hours. This could be months of a conversation that we have. And what we hoped was that we could just record the hours of our conversation and, and let you in on that. Or uh, between the first service and the second service, just keep on talking and let people come and go as, as you wanted. Maybe somebody would bring pizza and we would just keep going. Um, but again, today for a time frame, um, we're, just, we're just hitting uh, this at a very high level. Um, but Bruce, with the, the tension that's there, that seems to be escalating in certain ways. Um, there's a, a conversation going on right now about which lives matter. 
There was a conversation about Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. So just speak for a moment about that conversation from your perspective. I think it, you have to take it into context. So um, I didn't do this in the first service, but I'm going to do it now. I'm going to give an experience, and then that will help kind of bring context to it. Um, so that school that I told you I had attended um, my freshman year, um, I had an experience, so I'm in the dorm, all, all guys dorm, and um, at that time I didn't have, a, my roommate and I didn't have a, a phone in our room. So I, my mom called, and there was a phone, a pay phone, wow, wouldn't you believe, a pay phone. It was a pay phone, I just thought of that, a pay phone in you the hallway. You just dated yourself. Yeah, I friend. did, right? Yeah. So there was a pay phone in the hallway, and someone knocked on my door and said, hey, you got a phone call. So I went to the phone, and across the hall from me was a, a, a student that had their door open and was playing music. So I went to the phone, and I said, hello. It was my mom. I said, hey, mom, can you hold on? I can't hear you. I'm going to ask if the guy can turn the music down. So I went, you know, I went to the room, the guy's room. I addressed him. I said, hey, you know, I'm on the phone. Can you turn your music a little bit down um, so I can hear? So I left out of the room. It was two guys. I left out of the room, and I got about five steps, maybe less than that, and I heard the N-word to me, right? And I went to the phone. It was the, let me say this. It was the first overt racism experience I'd ever had that I can remember. So I went to the phone. I said, hey, Mom. Let me call you back, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Let me call you back. So I went to another room, which was a guy that was from the area, D.C. area, that was black, and I was like, hey, can you come with me to this room? So we went back to the room, and I confronted him. I said, now, what did you, what did you call me? And he was playing dumb. He's like, what? What are you talking about? What are you and in my mind, I was thinking, hit him. But instantly... It, I, I guarantee you, it had to have been the Holy Spirit. In a nanosecond, I thought, I played the scenario out. If I hit him, they're going to kick me out of the school, and you're going to get kicked out of the school, and you're going to lose this, that, and the other, and the opportunities and all that. So I said, I don't all I said to him afterwards, but I left the room. And I went to the Black Student Union, and I talked to the Black Student Union, who's an adult representative, and they kicked him out of the dorm. Now, I don't know what happened to him with regards to school. I could have taken it a lot further. Then, if something like that happens now, it would be worse. But that's just an experience that I had, right? So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, All lives do matter. Remember context. All lives matter. I mean, John John 3.16 says, whosoever, you know, all. So that already says all lives matter, right? Whoever comes to him, you know, believe in him, Lord Jesus Christ, and accept him, you know, it's the offer, the gift is for all. Blue lives matter. I have relatives that are detectives and police officers and law enforcers in the D.C. area. I believe, however, there are people who are bad apples. There are bad apples in Black Lives Matter movement. But there are people who are bad apples, and those bad apples make, a, make bad decisions and then make things go awry, right? So you've you got to take it in context. So Black Lives Matter. 
to say, well, yeah, black lives matter, but all lives matter. It minimizes the, the struggles. It minimizes the atrocities. It minimizes the oppression. It minimizes the rapes, the, the enslavements, the beatings. It minimizes all that. And all Black Lives Matter is doing is a movement to bring awareness of what's happening now that feels like what happened hundreds of years ago. That's what it is. And so you have, people, you have some people in Black Lives Matter that's making that look really bad that it's a militant type of thing, when in reality it's just to bring awareness to the atrocities, the injustice. And so that's what I would yeah. say, you know, yeah. you know to that. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate your perspective on yeah. that. Yeah. So we know that racial injustice, um, racism is not new, has been around for a very long time. Jesus actually dealt with it in his day. So what do you understand of Jesus addressing this issue in Scripture? So I think about, um, I think about Scripture, and one of the pieces of Scripture that I thought about around this is John 4. It's about the woman at the well that met Jesus. And so as the story goes, Jesus, um, there's this, this conflict with the Pharisees. Of course, the Pharisees is creating this whirlwind of conflict, and they're trying to keep count of who, how, many, how many people Jesus is baptizing versus how many John is baptizing, right? And so, in actuality, Jesus wasn't at that time doing all the baptisms. The disciples were. And so, Jesus wanted to steal away and get away, and he decided to go to um, his home. And usually, and you may say this already, but I'm going to say it for you. Usually you would go around Samaria to get to Galilee, but he wanted to go through. So it's a hot day, I'd assume, and it's about noon, Scripture says, and the disciples go, and they go get something to eat at KFC or Popeye's or wherever they decide they wanted to go get something to eat for lunch. And Jesus decided to sit down and take rest at the well. And so the woman, as, as you all know the story goes, the woman comes to the well, and they engage with one another. And he asks her for a drink, and he to call, the woman calls her, well, why are you talking to me? I'm, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Now, she had two strikes. She was a woman, and she was a Samaritan. But yet Jesus spoke with her, and she was surprised. The Bible, I'm almost sure it says she was surprised that he would talk to her. And so the idea that uh, Jesus intentionally wanted to engage with someone different than him made a difference. Because as you see in scripture, as they spent that time together, she increasingly became aware of who he was. And with Jesus already being all fully 100% God and his fully 100% man, he, of course he knew her history, but he learned of her as well. So the scripture says, as you read and go back and read it, she calls him sir. First she called him a Jew, and then she calls him sir. Then as he tells her, you know what, bring your husband here. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said, it's not even your husband you're living with right now. You have five others. Bring them. And then she's like, well, you're a prophet, you know. And so now he's sir, Jew, sir, prophet. And then all of a sudden she said, but the Messiah will come and tell us all things. And Jesus said, I am he. And then she learns that he is the Messiah, right? But guess, look at the principle around that. They spent time together and she learned of him and he her. 
And that made a difference so much so that she dropped her water pots where she actually was her purpose of going there and went back and told everyone, hey, look, come see this man that told me everything about myself. So I think it's engaging, getting together like we are and learning from one another. What I love about that story is Jesus could have easily gone around Samaria, but he didn't avoid it. He didn't withdraw from that conversation. He went directly through Samaria, and he knew what he was going to teach his disciples. He knew what was going to happen. He knew they were going to have a problem with him talking to a woman. Uh, He knew they were going to have a problem with him talking to a Samaritan. The, The Jews despised the Samaritans. And there was also a religious thing going on there as well. And, and Jesus knew he was going to uh, bring honor and value to her and show that to his disciples. Um, and so Jesus modeled very clearly, I think, in that passage uh, for, for what it looks like for us to be salt and light and to engage uh, racial reconciliation. So I, I strongly recommend for you to spend some time reading through John chapter 4 later today or this week and understand what Jesus did and what that could look like for us. You know, um, the other part of that, that uh, the latter part of that, the disciples, they come back from Chick-fil-A or wherever they went. And, um, you know, and, and they were upset with Jesus for talking to her. They were like, what are you doing talking to her? You know, and so that gives you the mindset of where they were. But of course, that's not where Jesus was. And he was intentional about that, right? as you said. Yeah, yeah. Now, what else does the Bible say about racial reconciliation? So one of the things that, um, just before I get to the, what Scripture says, one of, this will set up that. And one of the things that I would like to say and share just in a candid way, and this is just me, this may not be the narrative for others, but for me, when I hear someone of another ethnicity say, or another race say to me, you know, well, I don't see color. You know, I, I take offense to that because when, you, when someone says that to me, it almost implies in their good intentions, it almost implies that you are now, you don't see my uniqueness. You don't see my history. You don't see, you know, and you're taking that from me. And that does just not feel fair to, you know, you have a right to say that, but it just doesn't feel fair that you would not acknowledge my uniqueness. And so I liken that to 1 Corinthians 12, starting at the uh, 12th verse. And I'll read it there. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some, in some versions say some are bond servants, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And so further on, so the idea of one body, now if we are believers like we are today, sitting here worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords in one place, we, are, we have uniqueness, we, but we don't do the same thing. You know, we don't we operate the same way. Uh, God has set us up like a body. The thumb is going to have its role. Right thumb is going to have its role. Left thumb is going to have its role. And so if the right thumb says, I want to be like the left thumb, that's just not going to work. You know, that's not the purpose. But it it should have knowledge 
or acknowledge and celebrate its uniqueness and the other's uniqueness, right? So further down the verse, and again, I can't remember, and we've gone through it once before, but that's okay. Okay, thank you so much. You all have a great team here. Um, But here we go. So here's the next verse. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where it wants it. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Now, nowhere in there do I see inferiority or superiority. It's, I see an acknowledgement and celebration of those different parts, which would create the harmony that's needed, ultimately for God's glory. But I do understand that everyone doesn't know Christ. Not every white person knows Christ. Not every black person knows Christ. I got that. But then we need to talk about, okay, so how do we fix that? How do we get to that place? And I guess we may say something to that in a little later. I know there's a number, one more verse. I'm almost sure. Okay. You want to say it or I want to say it? Go for it. I got it. I'll go for it. Um, we were in the back. Can I just say this real quick? <laughs> we were in the back um, just getting our minds right and get settled for you all. And we're going to start doing this. I, I promise you. Um, Trent and I held out our fists like this, and he said, "Wonder? Did you say Wonder Twins? Wonder Twins? Wonder Twins like that? We did Hello, just Wonder like that. Wonder Twins, right? I'm like, what? I thought that was cool. I'm Wonder like, okay, Twins. Okay, let's go for it. And then boom, there it is. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I digress. All right, here we go. So, um, so the the uh, what is this? The 26th verse. So if one part, here we go. This is important. If one part suffers. All parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So if I'm seeing one of my, par- if one of my parts of the body is seeing the other as inferior, then guess what? I'm inferior. I'm affected or I'm impacted by that. And we have to get to a place where we understand that when we in this country when we get to a place when we understand that there should be equality and injustice, we help the entire country. But when we have this covert, you know, these codes, I, I got another thing I want to say about that, if I may. There was a study done, and I, I, I can't remember where I read this. I just recently read it. There was a study done where... 5,000, I don't know what the number was, um, uh, resumes went out to an ad in a paper, and all the names were names like Boquisha or uh, Devante or, you know, names that kind of have an ethnic kind of, and then there were names like Brad and James, and I'm not talking about you if you're Brad or James in this room right now, but Brad, James, Eric, and names like that. The responses to those same, same qualifications, same work experience, guess what was responded to more than the ethnic names? The other names. Now, I, I wish I could, I'm sorry I brought that up and didn't give you real details, but when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, now that's well known. I mean, it's nothing new. We knew that. But why is that? Why is that? And it speaks to how if we talk about, you know, hey, slavery's over, won't you get over it, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's an evidence of how I can't name my child 
Devontae, because if when he sent a resume in, he's most likely will not get that position that he's most qualified for, just like the other person. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's a real experience that we need to be aware of. Yeah. And, and yeah raise our yeah, own awareness yeah, of, yeah. of It's of sad, what actually. It's yeah. Sad. And so um, going back to that verse, yes, when I'm one sorry. part suffers, we all really do suffer. Yes. And, yes. And uh, we need to be aware of that. Now, the next verse uh, that we have here. So 2 Corinthians 5.19. Oh, uh, yeah. So verse 18 says that, and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, from another version, it says that God has given us the ministry of, of the ministry of reconciliation. The NLT, which you all use, says gives us the task of reconciliation. But this verse right here speaks so much of our role. And it says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. Try that on for size. Did you know that you can reconcile people? And that's because verse 18 says we have the ministry of reconciliation. But it has to be done in your giftedness. It has to be done in how God has wired you. And that's okay. So there are many different ways that we can tackle that. Yeah. That, that is a really powerful verse. And it goes on to say in that passage that we are Christ's ambassadors to the world. So if you're a Christ follower, you're an ambassador of reconciliation. Um, let that sink in for a moment. That when we go out into our, our world, where, where, whatever you do, going to school, going to work, whether you're at home, your neighborhood, wherever it is, we are Christ's ambassadors for reconciliation. Anytime there's a broken relationship around us, we have a task, and that task is to do our best to bring reconciliation in that broken relationship. That's a big verse and a big task that God has given us, but we can do that, and that is one of the ways that we can be salt and light in our current world. Now, Bruce, what are some practical things, some other practical things that, that, that we can do um, as we're kind of uh, rounding the corner here? I think um, what we're doing. Now, um, let me back up a bit. I think what's more should be the umbrella is as, as followers of Christ, we should follow Christ's example. Illustrated in John 4 and many other places in Scripture, we ought to be intentional. For some, it may be a risk. Shucks, it's a risk for me sometimes, but with my own culture, but... Some, for some people, it's a risk, but we ought to engage with other people, not just the surface, you know, let's hang out, let's break bread, but do what we're doing now and talk about it because we, for the most part, some don't talk about this, you know, and then follow your pastor's lead. Follow his example as well. It takes courage to do what he's doing right here. Would you, know, would you all not say it takes courage to do this? And not a, yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, you know, um, you know just kind of starting the dialogue. But here's, what, here's, what, here's where I get stuck with that, though. Uh, as I was on the plane and just about to um, get off, I, I was thinking, I got a little discouraged a bit. And I said, you know, we can talk, we can have these discussions, but then what? We have so many discussions. We talk, 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 talk. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure this is why you're asking. 
but we don't talk about the solutions. You know, we can talk uh, till your ears fall off, but until we actually talk about solutions and not only talk about solutions and then act on it, we're going to continue this. It's going to continue and it's going to get worse. I liken also to um, missions trips. Um, what do we do when we, we uh, go just before we go on a mission trip? Do we say, okay, we want to go to, I heard you all might be doing Guatemala. Guatemala, we've got two trips yeah. this summer. Yeah. So you don't just say, hey, I want to go, raise your money and go. You go and you learn. You immerse yourself so that when you go, you're able to most effectively impact those people's lives. And so I think it's on both sides, not saying that it's, you know, as, as white people, you need to take on that mission. I think it's both sides. I think it's a both and, not an either or kind of thing. And so I think those are some of the basic kind of things that we need to do. So practically raising speaking. our awareness of uh, racial issues in our country and understanding people's experiences um, yes. So speak to that for just a second. Yes. So there are so much information out there. I, I was, unfortunately, I had to self-teach um, around my heritage. I, the school system did nothing. And I don't know what it's like here, but I mean, yeah, I learned about Martin Luther King, and that's great, but there's so much more to my heritage, so much more, and the contributions made to this country and the prosperity of this country on the, on the backs of black people, so much, but I didn't know, I was ignorant of it. And so I had to go and teach myself. I had to go to the library and read books and learn about, there's still stuff I don't know. There's still things I don't know. And I, I, I hate to say this, there's, are you all familiar that there's a, a, a black national anthem song? Let every voice, y'all don't know that? Okay. Well, I don't either. You know why? You know why? Because I wasn't taught it. You know, I wasn't taught it. No one taught me that. But, but there is a song. And I, when I'm around other black people who know it, I, you know what you do when you don't know a song. You kind of, you know, act like you know the song. And, you, and that's bad, you know. So, I mean, you have to, you know, get acquainted with the truth. And there's been some things that has happened in our country that for the most part, we're not willing to acknowledge. We're not willing to confront. Yes, it was years ago, but guess what? If we don't process, process that, then we're going to stay stuck because it's unprocessed and it blocks us from healing. It blocks us from connecting because of fear. And if fear causes division, the division is going to cause us to continue to be ignorant. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. So in that journey, um, another thing I think we, we have to be careful of is dismissing each other's experiences. And, and sometimes we're real good at that, of dismissing, oh, well, that hasn't happened for me, so that probably hasn't happened for you. Um, and so as we're building relationships with each other, we, we've got to be very careful. We don't dismiss somebody's experience and, and what their journey's been like uh, as, as they've been, been growing up or just where they've lived and the experiences they've had in, in their lives. Yeah, I, I got another story. Okay. If you all don't mind. We got some time. Another experience. Good. So um, in my practice where I work, um, we, well, I'm the only black guy, um, the only male actually as well. Um, now I am, and uh, so I have two strikes. 
uh, <laughs> no, not really. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's all women, and it's a great place. It really is. They don't treat me any differently. Um, but we had a uh, staff meeting one, one day, and we brought in some guy, some lawyer, something. And he came in. The reason why I'm kind of dismissive because of what he did. So he came in, and I was cordial. He was in the room already. I went over to him, and I said, hello, my name is Bruce Butler. And when he reached out to shake my hand, by the way, some, not all black people, but some, yours truly, do this. I have like, it's like this radar. It's a discernment kind of thing. It's this radar. And I, I don't seek to do this, but I pick up on signals, right? So I reached my hand out. He barely grabbed my hand, nor did he look me in my face, right? And he said, hello, but he didn't look me in my eye. And I reached my hand out and he barely grabbed it, right? So I sat down and I watched how he, you know, greeted everyone else. It was totally different. So I said, okay, Bruce, don't jump to conclusions. I'm saying this to myself. Don't jump to conclusions. It was just, you know, that's just. So I said, I'm going to try again when he leaves. So he got up to leave. I said, it was great meeting you. Put my hand out again. Barely touched my hand. It almost looked like he didn't want to grab my hand. And he did not look me in my eye. And he walked off. So I said, okay. And we processed that in a group. I told my, I told my, uh, my um, coworkers, I said, I'm going to tell you all what just happened. You all didn't see it. They didn't see it, but I saw it. You see what I'm saying? So to your point, yeah, my reality is totally different from people of other colors. It, it, it's totally different sometimes. And I can pick up on it. And I would say most black people can pick up on it. You know, we just yeah. test the spirit and see if it's true. Yeah. You know, that's scriptural, by the way. Yeah. You know, see if it's right, you know, and that's what I did, you know. And, um, and it happens. That's covert. Right. That's opposite what I experienced when I was a freshman in college. So next time he comes in, you're going to do this and go, <laughs> Wonder Twins. Right, right, right. And then exactly. maybe he'll get that. No, yep, sorry. Yep, One yep. of my bad jokes. <laughs> so uh, uh, off of that, that last um, statement there, uh, another part of that is it's building those relationships, yep. building real relationships with people of different races, learning each other, and, and watching those relationships blossom. You know, for uh, Bruce and I, we've been friends for 20 years. Over the past month, this is the first time we've had deep conversations yeah. Yeah. about race. Yeah. Yeah. And I have benefited greatly from our conversations and our relationship. And uh, I'm just so grateful that, that Bruce would come and, and share his heart with us and help us learn how to be salt and light in a racially uh, diverse world. So would, would you help us, uh, help me thank Bruce for being here today? You're welcome, sir. Now, now listen. Now listen. I think they have him. Now listen. Would you help me thank your pastor to have the courage to actually even do something like this? Because you cannot sneeze at that. That's major courage what you did. So please give your pastor a hand. Absolutely. So, so, Miss Lillian, I'm going to have him pray for us, and then you are first up to shake his hand and give him a hug. How about that? Is you that sure good? she want to do that? I, 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 I think she does. <laughs> she might want. She might want to. Wonder twice. She might want to do that. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I've asked Bruce to pray for us as a church family as we end today. Um, so Bruce. Yes, let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are most grateful for the gift you've given us through Christ Jesus. Because of that, you reconciled us back to you, thus giving us the capacity to be agents of reconciliation. Help us to deliver that message very clear and loudly, Lord God, to those who are in need. And your grace, Lord, grace us, the grace that is still amazing. Give us awesome power of your spirit to preserve like salt and illuminate like light your truth to what is just. Thank you for, the, for kingdom connections, the epic church, Trent and I, for such a time as this that we honor you in all we do. So now, Lord, we pray that you go to those places where those who may not know you, those who are needing reconciliation, and heal their hearts. Lord God, heal their hearts. And Lord Father, let the healing begin. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As you leave today... So as you leave today, remember, as Christ followers... You are ambassadors of Christ for reconciliation to our world. So leave here with that mission on your mind. And let's live that way this week. Have a great week, everybody.